Good morning. Would y'all all mind standing for the reading of God's Word? Today's sermon's on 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 28, through the end of the chapter and end of the book. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and your body be preserved complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You may be seated. Um, let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this book that you um, wrote to us through Paul to a church. Thank you for that. And um, thank you for the truth that you have given us these, these months of us going through Thessalonians, God. And I pray that it would not just be working in those that are given sermons, but it would also work in the hearers here, Lord, that um, we would see and hear the truths of Thessalonians, God, and it would, like a good rain, soak in and change us, start to, to change us like we were never before. In your name, amen. Um, well, my sermon today, I've titled it Complete, and 2020 would not be complete unless we had our um, some other kind of plague of some sort. So I don't know if y'all heard this morning, there was a 5.1 earthquake uh, today in North Carolina, uh, probably about 35 minutes ago near Winston-Salem. And I think some, con some sidewalks were cracked, even as far as Weddington. So I know that that just is par for the course. You know, we're going to probably have locusts next that will make 2020 more complete. But I'm, gonna, I'm thinking about complete and as we complete this book, um, a couple things that whenever it happens, you know it's not complete. Maybe someone's singing, and they, they sing a flawless song until they miss one note. Um, a little pressure on the worship team as they come back up after me. Or maybe a gymnast. You've seen in the Olympics, a gymnast nails a routine, except they don't nail the landing. Um, maybe a painting that's unfinished. Um, Stacy reminded me recently, I was asking her about completeness, and she said that um, it used to be, I don't know if I do it anymore, but I, when I would wash the dishes, I would wash them, dry them, but I wouldn't wipe down the counters. And she didn't finish, she didn't consider it complete until I wiped down the counters. So when we moved into our new house, I made sure we got counters that looked like dirty food. And so you wouldn't see that, but um, I don't know what uh, completeness looks like for you or not completing something. But this morning, I want to talk about, as we look, we're going to talk about three things. One, complete peace, complete faithfulness, and complete prayer. So complete peace, complete faithfulness, and complete prayer. So first, if you look at um, verse 23 and 24, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and your soul and your body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Faithful is he who calls you 
and he will bring it to pass. So it's interesting that Paul uses, when we hear the word peace, we might think of the word shalom. That's the Hebrew word for peace. But Paul doesn't use that. His audience is Greek. Those at Thessalonica are um, descendants of uh, the Macedonians. And so he used a different word. He used Irene, which, interesting, if you look at it, and as I was studying, that was actually the Greek goddess of peace. And there's, a, there was a, there's several statues of her. Some have survived, some haven't, haven't. But the Athenians regarded her well after they had a naval battle with the Spartans, and they won that. So they, they made a, a complete temple for her. And the idea was that she would, she, the statues of her, she had a torch in one hand, a scepter, and also a cornucopia. So this basket with fruit falling out. And you see the ideas there that peace is this idea that you can see and that there is, you, you can see the future. There's also, she's got a scepter that peace is uh, peace from war. And then that cornucopia is that there's prosperity. And so that's what Paul used here. So the idea is that there's peace from war, tranquility between individuals, harmony, and prosperity. So also notice that Paul says, your body, soul, and spirit. And what he's trying to say there is your entireness. And again, he's speaking to Greeks. And Greeks believed that your soul was a connection to God, but your body, anything material, was dirty. And so that's why it allowed the Greeks to do immoral things. But yet they thought they were very spiritual. They were very in touch with God because they believed the body is separate from the soul. And what Paul's saying here is, no, they're all together. You need to think of your sanctification, your holiness is complete in the body, soul, and spirit. Everything that you do here. The word in uh, also complete means whole and to the end. We have idioms in our own language. Something like through and through or head to toe or inside and out. That's what Paul's trying to say here. Is that he wants God himself. He's not going to delegate it to an angel, but God himself, the Father, is going to sanctify you complete. It's also interesting that that same word is used in the Old Testament to describe the stone that, we're, that the uh, Israelites were supposed to use for sacrifices. They would have a temple a, a altar here, and it was supposed to be on uncut stones. They're supposed to be complete without cracks on them, but they're, they're complete stones. That's that same idea there. So, it's God himself that's sanctifying us. And it's interesting that it's, it, he identifies himself as the God of peace. Um, as if he's going to bring that to us. When we are sanctified, when we're holy, that's when we're truly happy. And when we're, we're complete, it's every part of us, not just one area. And we all have areas of our life that... We, we feel like we're growing in Christ, but there's this one area that's over there that we, we kind of know is not being sanctified. Well, that's not complete. And you won't be at peace until you invite the Lord into that area of your life. And so I want you to think about this. Um, what is the besetting sin in your life? And what I mean by that is, what is the sin that consistently you seem to struggle with? And maybe you need to have a refresher. You can lean over to your spouse 
and ask them, what is your besetting sin? Or you can lean over to your, your parent or your, your child, and they sure can tell you, but just go through the Ten Commandments. Is it that you tend to make good things the only thing, and so you have idolatry in your life? Is it that you, you tend to gossip and lie, not tell the truth, exaggerate, stretch the truth? Is it that you steal, which even Paul talks about here, about having a good work ethic so you don't steal? Is it that you, you, you don't honor your parents? Is, uh, we can go down the list. Is it that you tend to covet uh, your neighbor's house, his life, his, your neighbor's wife, whatever it is, the car. What is it that is your besetting sin? I want you to think about that. And I almost want you to personify that thing. Like it's, a, it's an uninvited guest that shows up to your life. Well, how often does this uninvited guest show up? This dark guest, as the Puritans would say. Maybe it's pretty consistently every day. Maybe it's this cycle that's a little bit more stretched out. But this besetting sin is in your life. Paul even wrestled with this. He says in Romans 7, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And that picture, some of the tyrants of ancient used to, when they would um, capture a people group, they would actually take dead bodies and bind them to their captors so that the, the, the people that they just captured would have to walk around with a dead body on their back. That's the picture Paul's trying to say in, in Romans 7. So that this smelly, foul, deadly body that, that can, can bring death to you because of its connectivity to you. That's the picture of Paul saying, who can rescue me from this body of death? So what is that body of death for, for you? Now, I want you to take your glorified imagination. Imagine all these sins. This sin and all your sins, are like, they're gone. You don't struggle with it anymore. There's no more trace. The weight of it has been taken off you. You've been carrying around this dead corpse around you all these years, and now it's off you, and you feel the levity, the, the lifting of the weight off of you. I want you to imagine that. What would that look like? Again, try to use your glorified imagination here. I'm going to read what it would be like. And if you, if you have your Bible, you can even read what it's like. If you look in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22, that's what it would be like. That you would appreciate the leaders in your life. You would give mentors the proper place. You'd be at peace with others and not seek revenge. You'd be patient with a rebellious brother. And you would encourage those still struggling with burden of sin and on their back. You not dream of taking revenge, but you'd, you would want to bless your enemies. You would always have joy. You would always talk to God, and you would always thank God for everything that happens to you because you have perfect trust in His oversight in your life. So look at this. If you can look at the Scripture. So whenever we read, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus if you really believe that it is God who's sanctifying you and he will sanctify you upon glorification and wipe all your sins away and wipe away the struggle of sin, it, the hope of that can animate you to live the Christian life so that you would live out 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22. So 
the, the idea, the, the, the hope that it is God who is sanctifying you. And remember, he's, he's not a man that he should lie. He's not a, a son of man that he should repent. So whenever he promises something, he will do it. That's what leads us to our second point, that complete faithfulness. God, it says God is faithful. Faithful is he who calls you. So it's not like a parent, whenever a kid, uh, whenever the children ask, can we do this or that? And you go, yeah, we're going to do that. And then it's years later and you still haven't done that. I remember that as a kid, whenever we moved from uh, an urban setting to more of a rural setting. I had no idea what that was going to be like. And my mom sat us down and said, it's going to be great. You're going to have horses. You're going to have, um, you're going to have motorcycles. We're going to be on a farm. And then a year later, we're in a suburb, we're in a neighborhood, and there were no horses, no motorcycles. And so she made a promise in the moment, but she didn't have the power to keep it. And that, parents, you know the pain of that, so that oftentimes you stop making promises and you'll just say, we'll see. And really, that's not even a promise. That's more of kind of a sidestep, right? But Paul, I mean, God is not saying, well, we'll see what, is, what, what you're going to wind up like in the future. He's saying that I will make you blameless one day. I will glorify you one day. You'll, there'll be no stain of sin with you anymore. That's pretty amazing because we live life with this. We just assume this is the way life is with this burden of, of sin, this dead body on our back. It, it's, I think, Doctors call that latent pain. It's just pain that you live with. And sometimes, I remember I was walking, the, uh, this was a couple months ago, I was walking to a construction site. And this was so strange, uh, that's why I want to highlight it. There was a trash truck going by as I was walking down the street to this construction site. And the trash man saw me walking, and so he stopped and said, Oh, man. And I was limping, because I have a bad hip. And he said, You got a limp. And then drove on. And I was thinking, well, that, that, I was so pronounced that he decided to stop his trash truck and, and just call me out that I've got a bad limp. And I didn't realize it. I've, I've been living with the pain so long, that, and I'm, I'm so used to it, that I don't even recognize my own limp. And I think that's how most of us live life, all of us live life, with this acceptance that, well, sin's with us, and it is with us, but it can increasingly be leave us and one day it will fully leave us um earlier adam read psalm 91 and in that the meaning is that god will keep us safe and he is a refuge but how do you understand this how do you understand that god will keep you safe because the the key the key to living life like jesus would is is how you understand that psalm well tim keller would say this that satan wants you to think a certain way we know how satan thinks about this psalm because this is the very psalm that he quoted to jesus during the temptation in the desert and so this was the third temptation and he said just jump off the temple and he quoted psalm 91 he says his angels will take charge of you and not let you you stumble will not let your foot hit the stone and Jesus rebuked him and said, no, this is not how you understand this. This is not how you understand God's word. See, Satan wants you to think, if God loves you, he won't let you suffer. Satan wants you to think that you won't suffer 
or you won't suffer a lot once you become a child of God. So that the first time you suffer something big and bad, you, you get hit with that pain and you're like, wait a second, I thought God was going to be faithful. And you doubt God's faithfulness. Then you've fallen into the snare of what Satan wants you to believe. We have to understand Psalm 91 different. So that when it says the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence by night. And that really, Psalm 91 describes 2020, right? It's describing the things we're going through. If we could have a phrase for 2020, it would be stripping of, of our security. That's what God is doing to our culture. And hopefully he's doing it to, to all of us. Um, you know, it was interesting, and it was very hard, uh, six years ago that um, Stacy and I went to the Congo to go get our son, Benaya, and the government said, yes, you can come and get him, and just stay for two weeks, You're, you need three signatures, you can come and get him, and then leave. After two days, we had two signatures, and we're like, wow, we'll be able to do this, and then maybe go on safaris after this, because we're going to get our signatures and go. Well, that third signature didn't come the next week and the next week, and we had to extend our stay another two weeks, so a total of five weeks. And in the end, the signature we needed, the guy sat us down in his, in his office and said, yeah, he's your son, legally he's yours, but you can't take him out of the country. He's got to stay here. Now, you can come and live here if you want to, but you can't leave. And I remember when we got on the 747 in December six years ago, and we were crying, and we looked over, one aisle over, there was an Italian family that had two children they had just adopted. And it, it was something that the, the, the government of the Congo was doing to the United States, not other countries. And Stacy and I just wept even more. And I, while I wouldn't want us to go through that again, any of us, my, my family or Stacy or I, I, I am so glad we did because Stacy and I, during those five weeks, in the heart of Africa wrestled with two questions. Is God good or is God powerful? And we each concluded initially opposite things. We concluded maybe God is, is, is just, he's powerful enough to, to get us this th third signature so we can take our son and go, but he's just not going to do it. So cynically we concluded initially that he is not good. Or we said, no, he's, he's good. He's just inept he's he's not powerful and i'm i'm ashamed to even say that came out of my heart but it wasn't until i went through that pain that that came out of our hearts and then for the next five weeks we came to the great conclusion that god can do what he wants to do and god doesn't deliver us from pain he delivers us through the pain that's what how psalm 91 reads is that not is not that god is going to keep you safe from the arrow and from the pestilence, and from the pain, from the death, but he will take you through those things. And that if he sends an arrow in your life, it's to save you, keep you safe from something much greater that's going to hurt you even worse. And that's, that was true for us, and I think that's true for every Christian. This is how. I mean, look at Genesis 50, 20. When Joseph, at the end of his life, is looking back at his life, and he's able to say, you, my, my brothers, meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He's able to say, think about that. He's able to say, because I was in, imprisoned, abused, used, sold into slavery, 
and now have become the prime minister of Egypt. And God rescued me from being a spoiled brat and rescued my family from being dysfunctional and rescued us. He rescued us through those things, through that pain. I want you to see this for a second. And I know you're so far back there, you can't see this, but um, it probably makes it all the more. This little square, do you know what this is? No, you probably can't see it. It's a part of a towel, right? And you have no idea, but if you even got closer, you'd see that there's orange, there's black streaks, there's red, there's white, um, and you have no idea what it is. But it's not until you put it with a fuller context that you can see it's Tony the Tiger, right? It fits perfectly in that. Now, that's a silly example, but that is a picture. This is your life oftentimes, and God sometimes will let you see the fuller picture, but sometimes he doesn't. And you have to trust that he is weaving something much, much greater than you can even imagine. Because all you see is little lines with, with dark hues and some light hues. But we have to look at life this way. 1 Thessalonians 3 says that we were destined for affliction. Romans 8.28, all things work together for the good it doesn't, say not, it doesn't say all things are good. It says it will work together for good. That is not a cheesy cat poster. That is God-honoring truth. That when you look back at your life, God sometimes will give you the perspective of many years looking in hindsight. And what do we say? Hindsight is twenty twenty. You have better view looking back. And sometimes, even on your deathbed, you will not understand some things. I will not understand some things. But when we get to heaven, it will become clearer. Well, I have just a few minutes. The last thing is, he says, complete prayer. He says, in verse 25, brethren, pray for us. Paul, in the, in the first chapter, or in the first book of Thessalonians, had prayed for the Thessalonians five times. And he's asking now for prayer for himself. And Paul does this. A lot of his his epistles he says pray for me and sometimes he says that generic just kind of a general prayer other times specific he says pray that the, the gospel would go forth quickly pray that we could live a quiet and tranquil life in the gospel pray that i would be bold to speak the gospel that i would stand up and, and share christ with others pray that friends would come and see me or i would be able to see you pray that i would be encouraged and so paul is asking for prayer and that is great humility so we need to be in prayer diligently for Adam, for the elders, for Daryl, for the staff here, for those that mentor us. We need to be praying for them because they are praying for us. That is complete prayer. It's not just one way. It's that you are praying for those that you have spiritual leadership in their life, and they are also praying for you, that you might lead them like a, a good father or a good mother, that we would apply this truth to our life. Well, let me end with these few thoughts. Both in Psalm 91 and also in Matthew 23, the imagery is pretty amazing. It's the same imagery of that of a mother bird protecting her babies. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 37, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills prophets, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. 
but yet you were unwilling. So think about that, this picture of a mother chicken with her, her chicks under her. And she's protecting them from whatever it is. And maybe she's protecting them from the, the hot August sun. Or maybe it's wind coming down or wind. She's protecting them. Or maybe it's a predator. Don't miss the imagery there that she is the substitute. She is in place of. So instead of the predator or the heat or the wind getting her children, they're getting her. And that is a picture of Jesus on the cross. That he was taking the penalty for us. Christ is a substitute and we can trust him with our life. In fact, what did he say on the cross? To tell us die. It is finished. Another way to, it's an accounting term that says paid in full. Another way to say it is complete. It's complete. I've completely protected. I've kept safe my children that are mine. I'll end with this. That archaeologists have, have dug up the site in Thessalonica. And they found some tombs. And it's interesting, on the tombs of many of those in Thessalonica was a Greek word, amemptos, A-M-E-M-P-T-O-S, amemptos. And that means blameless. This is beautiful for so many reasons. One, that they would see themselves as God sees them, blameless, because he made them blameless. But that the church did survive. That they listened to the words of Paul and ultimately the Holy Spirit to say they were blameless. That is such a good epitaph for us to think of ourselves is that we are now blameless. Not because of anything we have done, but because of everything he has done. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for sanctifying us. For being the God of peace. Who is, sanctify, who is sanctifying us entirely in all aspects of our life. You're making us complete. You're making us ultimately in the, glory, the day of glorification blameless. Thank you for being taking the penalty that we should have deserved. And you live the life we should have lived, but yet you have taken, taken the pain, the death that was destined for us so that we didn't have to. To keep us safe, God. Help us understand fully what this idea of safety means. It's not safety from. It's safety in or safety through. And you are good and faithful. And keep all of your promises and can be trusted with all of our life. Amen.